From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you the Unconquered Podcast. And yes, we're back after another fairly extended absence as I uh, finished another book or am finishing in the closing touches of finishing another book. But uh, there wasn't a whole lot of a whole lot of material to talk about coming into spring, but spring has sprung. We are here at spring practice, so it's time to uh, break down what we see. And and uh, there's lots of things to get to. A few things that did happen since I've last recorded, but uh, we'll get to those in due course. Before I get started, I want to thank, as always, the sponsors of the Unconquered Podcast. That is EPR Creations, bringing the best of website development and internet marketing for an affordable price. Best in the business. Give them a holler. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. And then also Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. He is the best in the business in that region. If you need to list your house or if you're looking for any real estate in the greater Jacksonville area, you need to talk to Louis. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. And then also Shenandoah Newsma of Shenandoah Realty in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You can find her at shenrealestate.com and tell her again, you heard about her from the Unconquered Podcast. And finally, Garage Makeover is the best garage remodeling company in South Florida. It's time to get your garage remodeled. And if you live in Palm Beach or Broward County, give them a holler. Now, as we get to talking about this, I can't emphasize how important this spring is for Florida State football. Uh, and in particular for this coaching staff, this is a hugely important spring spring session. It's really it's a make or break season for this coaching staff, and this spring allows them to get an opportunity to deal with over twenty newcomers, figure out where guys fit, figure out what they've got going into next year. And this is a situation where you know they've now they had the COVID season, and then they had this last season where. In each case, you've kind of felt like they were learning their roster on the fly at different points where, uh, okay, well, this guy's not quite as good as maybe we thought he was, or this guy's got to go here. Just moving pieces around during the season and, and by the end of each year getting a little bit better, but they can't afford that this year. They need going into next season to really have a good grasp, a good sense of who fits where, who the best 11 are in this against this personnel for defense, who the best 11 are in, you know, nickel, who's our best 11 in, in dime, who's the best 11 when, when you go three man, who's the best pass rushers, who fits different roles. They need to have those roles really getting set and getting a, a decent sense of who fits where on the depth chart and who can do what coming out of spring. They need to have that. And they really didn't have as much of that the first couple of years just because of some of the other factors beyond their control. And I mean, they were not handed the easiest situation. And now they've got a chance where they've got, they know more of the roster. They brought in some new blood to, to fix some problems that they felt they had. And now it's, it's make or break. And they've got to figure out where guys can fit and see if they can get some guys that can make a difference. And the thing is, they've got to show proof of concept this year. They're going to have to win win some games this year to really be able to to do what they need to and land some of the elite talent recruiting-wise that they just have no access to until they can start winning games that matter. And they need to do some of that this year. And this spring really is the gateway to that. They've got to figure out what they've got, figure out who goes where, and figure out what else they might need to add before they get into the summer session. Now, I will say, uh, 
it's, I think, evident that the talent has improved. If you look at any of the stuff, whether it be pictures or, or, or clips, photos, any of those things that um, that have come out from Tour of Duty in the first couple days of spring, I, I think it's quite obvious that this is the best that the team has looked on the hoof in at least four years. They They physically look and are moving better than they have in the past. And, and uh, talking to some former, uh, former other former players who have been at practice and who've been around, those guys are saying, yeah, they do look different. This, this looks like a different group. They've got some guys that actually look like they belong at Florida State. And they've got fewer guys that don't look like they belong at, in the Power Five. That's not to say that, they, that this team looks like a normal Florida State roster. They don't. They're not there. But they have raised the floor of the program with a combination of development and transfers. And a lot of that is just that they they now have at least decent depth kind of across the board. And if you go through, I mean, you ask, what's the worst position on this roster? Is it linebacker, offensive line, corner, wide receiver? I mean, what what's the worst position? And then you look at that position and you look at the depth chart and you say, you know, every one of these positions has viable options that should at least manage to be at around the average ACC level. There's for the first time in a while, there's not a position group that I look at at this point and I go, oh man, they're just those guys are below ACC average. They're just, they, I'm not sure those guys can compete at the ACC level. I don't see that with this team at any one specific position. Are there positions that are weaker than they should be at Florida State? Absolutely. But they've managed to raise that floor to where you're not going into Wake Forest going, yeah, they, Wake Forest is just flat out more talented at, say, four or five positions. That's not that's not where they're at. They may be better at some of those positions still, but it's not a situation where you're looking at it going, these guys just shouldn't be playing at the Power 5 level. They've got actual guys that, that should be able, at, e- at each position, and usually a two deep. They've got two deep that can actually contribute at most of those spots. Now, this does bring up something that I've... I've been getting I've been getting some rumblings on. I've had people text me about this and that sort of thing. It does bring something up that 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 I should take a moment to talk about. And that is I I've I've heard some dissatisfaction with the strength and conditioning program and questions about the competence of of uh, of Storms and and what they're doing in the in the strength program. And some of those things really uh some of those rumblings sort of hit higher gear when the uh, updated weights hit heights and weights hit the uh, the roster before the spring, and there were more guys that lost weight than gained weight from the last fall, from the measurements before fall fall ball, and then uh, into the pre spring weigh ins. And basically, it was man, like how how bad do you have to be as a as a strength staff and nutrition staff and all of that to have a team that's not super big to begin with that loses more weight during that period. I mean, what are you guys doing? Are you even doing, are you even lifting that sort of thing? And I think there's, there's some misunderstanding of exactly how this, 
how this works at the college level. And also, I think there's a, a bit of a misevaluation of some of the issues on the roster uh, that, that, that factor into that play. I mean, first of all, there were a number of guys on the roster that flat out needed to lose weight that were not as effective because they were heavier than they should be at, for the position or for the role that they're going to be playing. So you think about Lundy, for example, or Dix or Gaynor. Those are three linebackers who put on some weight before last year, and they're all bigger, bigger guys. And in that, and when you watch last year, they actually, the biggest problems that they had last year at the linebacker position tended to be because some of those guys didn't move as well as they really needed to. All three of those guys really needed to, if they're going to play linebacker, I mean, Gainer, you could put more weight on and maybe try to get him toward the line of scrimmage, but I think they've decided not to do that. So, you know, if they're going to play linebacker, all three of those guys needed to drop weight because the problems that, that the limitations that they bring to the table are not a matter of, of size or strength. The problem is mobility related. So that's number one is you have to assess what do you need at the position? And that's the sort of thing that Randy Shannon and Mike Norvell are going to talk about. They're going to get together with Storms and they're going to say, look, Lundy needs to drop from, you know, 248 to he dropped to what, 239. That's good for him. Same thing with with Dixon Gaynor. Okay, that's fine. Uh, Same thing with Lloyd Willis, for example, who at 330 last year looked like he had lost some mobility and he looked sloppy at times and he lost over 30 pounds. To me, that's a good thing. Now, the thing is, did he lose 30 pounds and lose strength? Everything that I, I've seen, and, and from what I understand, that's not the case. He actually got stronger while he was losing that weight. Well, that's, that's a very good thing. That means that you're, that you're doing what you need to do to recompose your body. The other part of this, though, has to do with the phases of training, both on a yearly and a career level for players at the at the college level. All good strength and conditioning programs are periodized. What that means is that you have specific periods, specific phases that you go through in a one-year, two-year, three-year, four-year, five-year scheme. And what that means is that you're not just trying to bulk up all year. It's, it's just not that way. You don't spend five years in a college strength program just trying to get bigger muscles. That's not going to work. First of all, football is not about having bigger muscles. It's not about looking better in the mirror. It's not about having bigger arms, all of those things. In, in many cases, too much hypertrophy, too much muscle growth actually impinges, actually hinders the athletic uh, capacity that you need to be effective actually playing the game of football. And that's one of the things, I mean, I've gone to a lot of clinics over the years and uh, as someone who has done a lot of uh, of training of athletes myself, uh, that that's something that you know I, I've spent some extra time with with college strength coaches and talking about what they do and all of these things as well. And you know I've I've taken you know my some of my certifications and things like that. So I've I've had to learn and keep up with with some of this stuff. And one of the things that you hear from the top guys in the, in the profession is that. 15, 20 years ago, there was, there, there was kind of a shift, and there's been a, an increasing shift to really change the way that strength and conditioning is run 
from sort of a general get stronger approach and, and, and be able to lift more in the weight room kind of approach to my job is not to make you a better weightlifter. My job is to make you a better football player approach from strength and conditioning staffs across the country. So what that means is instead of focusing on specific numbers of, okay, we need to put this much weight on this guy and he needs to be increasing his, his, uh, his rep range on this and focus on, you know, these specific lifting aspects. The question is, what is this guy able to do? Where are the weaknesses that need to be strengthened? Where are the things that need to be that, that are strengths that can be further improved and all of that. And then you tailor what you're doing to that guy's position. And then those traits to make him the best football player that he can be. And, and for some guys, that's going to mean different things. So that's number one, is you're training not to gain weight, not to become a better weightlifter. You're training to get stronger for the specific things that you do on the football field. The other thing has to do with the, the cycle of the year that you you have season, you have spring, you have summer, you have all of these different things that are going to play into how you actually shape the year. And the way that this works is pre-spring. So this is immediately following a season. Pre-spring is about recovery, especially for guys who played a lot during the season. Recovery and then conditioning for spring. So you're going to be trying to get stronger, yes. But the focus is going to be on healing the body, regaining some of the strength and and all of that that you may have lost during the season. And then you go into tour of duty or what used to be mat drills, that sort of thing. And you start conditioning your body for spring. You start to really focus on speed, quickness, and agility, along with conditioning to prepare your body for the rigors of spring, which in a one month period is as physical as a season. Basically, you go through basically a season in spring. It's really physical and you have to be prepared for that. Tour of duty is really intense. It's really focused on non-lifting exercise and focused on that conditioning side. And this is where you're going to see, especially on the line and and different places like that, you're going to see guys lose weight and cut their bodies. So this is cutting period. You're going to lose weight. You're going to get in shape. You're going to get in condition and you're going to get kind of to fighting weight as you get into great shape pre-spring. That's going to be tour of duty kind of period. Spring, then you transition into maintenance and focusing on trying to get some strength gains as as you're able during that maintenance period. So that's a one-month maintenance period between tour of duty. And then after spring ends, you go into basically a two- to three-month hypertrophy phase where you are trying to put on mass for the season there. So for three to four months, or some, depending on the player, anywhere from two to four months, you're going to focus on gaining whatever weight you're going to gain for the year, basically between April and early July. That's where you're going to really focus on that aspect, and it's going to be uh, different rep ranges, different things like that that you're going to be uh, that you're going to be doing to build more muscle mass during that period. Then when you get into July, you start into the power and conditioning phase where you're focusing on transitioning some of the extra muscle mass that you added during April, May, June 
July, you start to transition that into power, which has to do with moving weight quickly and moving more weight at a lower rep range. Then August, you polish that up and then you work into conditioning, not quite tour of duty level, but you work into conditioning, getting ready for camp. And then you get into camp and season, which is maintenance. What this means, though, is that you have to, if you're going to compare weights, you really have to compare spring to spring and fall to fall weights to really see what's happening on the yearly cycle. If you compare fall to spring or fall, you know, different points of the season or during season to off season, that sort of thing, you're going to get some different pictures that are going to be a little bit distorted. They're going to distort the picture a little bit. So the other thing that, that then you have to come into play. So that's your one year kind of yearly progression that's going to work. The best strength coaches also have a multi-year periodization where first year, here's what we're going to, we're going to focus on with these athletes. Second year, this is where we're going to develop that third year. This is where this is going to direct. And then by the fourth year, you're, you're moving into some really advanced stuff. That's going to, for a lot of players, especially a guy, again, Lloyd Willis is a good example. Uh, a lot of players are going to come in needing to gain some weight for the power five level. And if you can redshirt those guys, especially the progression, the normal year progression is going to be different for those guys. They're going to be in hypertrophy phase longer during that first year. They're going to basically be in that April, May, June hypertrophy phase for like eight months, nine months during that first year. And they're going to just eat. You're going to have them eating a ton and try to put on that weight that first year. And then you try to recompose that weight some as they get older. Uh, you're trying to build fundamentals in the weight room at that first year. And then you try to build on that the second year. These are the things that you do. So Lloyd Willis, for example, put on what, 40 pounds when he got on campus. And now he's just taken off 30 of those and his body's been completely reshaped. That's what you do over those three years. So the other thing is the final thing here is a lot of guys who needed to gain weight did. So Patrick Payton, for example, at 247 is great news. Several of the transfers who could afford to gain just a little bit of weight, those guys gained five, six, seven pounds. And you can see that they are customizing what they're asking based on what the, the physical needs of these guys are. That's a good sign. Was it all positive? No. I mean, I think Maurice Smith being under 280, still really disappointing. He needs to gain some weight. Don't know what the story is there, though. I mean, I know he got sick at one point. You know, there's other factors here. I want to see what Maurice Smith weighs at the end of the summer. He needs to be over 290. Chambray Jackson being just over 260, also disappointing. You, you're hoping that he can get to 280 and to be, to be a, uh, a contributor on the inside there few others that, you know, I was not as pleased with. I mean, I'd like to see more, more gain from George Wilson, but overall I, I was pretty pleased with what I saw from those numbers. And I'm very pleased by what I see physically from this team on the hoof. To me, this team is starting to look a lot like, uh, basically Jimbo's teams from say 2010 or 2011. These are not the teams that were contenders, but were starting to look different than the 2007, 2008, 2009 teams that were really struggling to make make bowls. That 2010 and 2011 team, those teams started to look different on the hoof. They just look different. And they're starting to get closer to that in terms of what I see on the hoof there. So that's that's a real positive. So that then brings us to the next sort of segment here where we can talk about 
what we're looking for, what we what what to expect out of this spring and what I'm looking at in this spring. To me, this spring is, as I said, it's a make or break spring, but this spring is all about upside as much as anything else. They've they've sort of raised the floor, as I said. The question is, can they find difference makers that are going to be able to change the scoreboard on offense and and get takeaways and and cause havoc on defense? That's really what they're looking for. They've got a lot of guys that that have raised the floor enough to be competent players and competitive players. Now, can they find the difference makers that really take you from being sort of a bowl team to being a team that can actually compete with better teams at the power five level. That's what they're doing. That's what this spring is about. It's all about upside. Can you, can you raise the ceiling for this team by finding some people who can be difference makers at their positions, who can change the way that other teams have to game plan for you? And actually in in preparing for this episode, I went back to my post spring observations to just think about what I said about last year's team. And actually it's funny because I said last year that that was the least talented team in over a decade, you know, and probably beyond that, uh, and compared them to the 2008 or 2009 teams, which I think actually fits. And then funny thing is now I'm looking at this one and going, they look a lot like the 2010, 2011 team. And I didn't even realize that I'd made exactly that comparison last spring. So, I mean, in, incrementally, it, it, it's a step forward. But the other thing that I really called attention to last year was, okay, post-spring game, it's obvious that Jermaine Johnson's going to be really good, but who else on that defense is a difference maker? And as I said then, you, as a rule, in order to have a, a really top-level defense, you need to have at least three difference makers. Ideally, you want one at each level. So either an elite end and an elite tackle and then an elite defensive back somewhere or an elite defensive lineman, some spot, an elite linebacker and an elite defensive back. And if you want to have an elite defense, you need to have four or five of those elite guys that are difference makers that you have to know where they are as an offense. And I said last year, okay, so you got Jermaine Johnson. Who's the other? And you know, I said, look, Keir Thomas didn't play. He's going to have to be a dude to really get what they need there. Well, it turned out Keir, Thompson, Keir Thomas was a dude. But you look at that defense and you go, they didn't have difference makers at corner, at least not in the right direction. And they didn't have difference makers at linebacker. They had really the, the guys at end, and then the guys in the middle started to become difference makers as the season went on. And now those guys are difference makers coming back. Can they find difference makers at some of those key positions to add to that? So defensively, that's what they're looking for because they got some consistency in some of those other spots, but can they find a guy? Can they find a corner? And I'll I'll go uh, position by position in a little bit, but can they find a corner that can be a difference maker that can lock a guy down? Can they find, you know, can Jared Verse perhaps become an end that really causes that kind of havoc on the edge? Can they find something that, that that they can add one or two more pieces to that make a difference on defense. Now, on offense, again, after last year, my comments were look, they've they've got some limitations. They they're okay at a number of spots. They're, you know, they're raising the floor a little bit, but my question is who's going to score? Who's going to change the scoreboard? They don't have any they don't have any playmakers. They don't have any difference makers outside. 
And this was my evaluation going into camp last year as well, is what wide receiver scares you? And, you know, frankly, what running back is is elite to, to compensate for that? So, you know, it's a situation where you, you've got some weakness on your offensive line and you don't have a single wide receiver that, that you can go out there and say that's a, a clear number one. So that's an issue, right? Well, this year, what they did is... They rolled the dice in the transfer game. And, and you know, I said last year they're going to have to score with smoke and mirrors, and they did a great job with that. This year, they rolled the dice in the transfer portal to try to get some guys who bring elite traits to the table. And these, as transfers, are guys that, well, you know, it's a little boom and bust, but transfers as a rule can help faster than high school recruits with comparable traits because they don't have to make the adjustment to college. So that's what they did. Now, there was a combination. Some of the guys that they went and got in the transfer portal raised the floor as much as they do the ceiling. But a few of these guys, if if a couple of those guys hit in terms of the elite trait guys, that really is what raises the ceiling for this team. So let's let's think about this in terms of what I'm looking at this spring and, and what I'm most paying attention to. Number one, well, this is really number two on my list, but it's number one in terms of how I've actually got this arranged for my for my uh, notes to myself here is can they find on the offensive line another offensive tackle or two that can raise the ceiling? So think about it this way. They went out and they got Lyles, who's going to be the starting center. And he brings a whole different set of skills to the table at 315, 320. <laughs> I mean, 45 pounds heavier, 50 pounds heavier than Maurice Smith. He's not going to get pushed back into the lap of uh, Jordan Travis, for example, and he's not going to wind up in the backfield on inside runs uh, so easily. So he pro- he raises the floor for that interior. What they're hoping to do is raise the ceiling for the whole offensive line by finding that offensive tackle that allows you to move Washington inside to right guard because that just that allows you to cement a quality offensive line from left to right. And so that's going to be Lloyd Willis in his third year, maybe. And he's been taking snaps with the ones at right tackle and has looked good so far. Again, no pads on yet. Bless Harris, the transfer, the FCS transfer, who physically looks the part. You just don't know. You've got uh, Orr, Rod Orr in his second year. I mean, is he going to be a guy that that maybe makes a leap or a year or two early? Can they find another offensive tackle or two that can raise the ceiling by giving them some some depth at that position and maybe somebody who can take that position and be good enough that it allows Washington to slide inside and be be a top-level NFL talent at guard? And the reason that that's so important is the guard-center-guard spots on the offensive line are really, I mean, you, you hear a lot of attention about the, about the tackles. But the guard center guard is really the most important spot on the offensive line because nothing you you have to be at least be good there. Nothing will kill an offense faster than being bad straight up the middle. You can't run the ball because you're allowing penetration straight up the middle. You get straight to the running back and the quarterback can't really throw comfortably because the, the worst place for a quarterback to get pressure is straight up the middle in his face and in his lap that then affects whether he can step into the, into things, whether he can see any of those things. 
if you've got a weakness on one side or the other, you can chip to help your tackle. You can roll the pocket a little bit. You can, you know, the quarterback can slide a little bit. But if it's coming straight up his, straight up into his lap, right up the gut, there's not much you can do about that. And then you also, in Norvell's offense, he asks a lot of his guards and his center in the running game. Those guys have to be able to move. They've got to be able to anchor. And you saw last year when Gibbons was out, the, the, the difference, and especially when Gibbons and Smith were both out early in the year, they were, they were bad offensively. They just couldn't block. So if they can actually have quality play at the guard center guard, so if they've got a healthy Gibbons, a healthy Lyles, and then Washington at right guard, they can be really good in, in that area of Norvell's offense. And with those three at the guard center guard, and then competent competence at the left tackle position from Scott, and then if they can get competence at the, at the other, other tackle position from, say, Willis or Harris or someone like that, then all of a sudden you're looking at an offensive line that's in the top portion of the ACC. They're they're above average, and that, that's a radical change from anything we've seen at Florida State in a while. If not, then you keep Washington on the outside, and you hope that maybe a Schrader or somebody can slide inside and be and be decent at that guard. And you know you at least have set the floor to where you're not going to be awful, to where you know you're not going to be in a position where you can't block Syracuse, but you're not going to be great. You have to have a, a competent option at offensive tackle. And I've, really what they want is two more offensive tackles to emerge so that they have a backup in case somebody goes down that you can trust. They need to find that. The other, the other major position on offense that they've just thrown bodies at to try to fix is the wide receiver position. They brought in four guys in the transfer portal that are a combination of raising the floor and shooting for difference makers. To me, Winston Wright and Micah Pittman were really brought in to to raise the floor. Those are guys that to me are not they're not special physically. They don't bring a whole lot in that respect, but they've they've shown that they can play at this level. Wright in particular has has had a lot of productivity at the Power 5 level. And then you added say a healthy Burrell and he, you know, I think physically gives you some interesting tools there. Those are three guys that help raise the floor for you at the wide receiver position so that, you know, maybe you're not quite as bad as last year and at least Wright and Pittman can make some plays with the ball in their hands. And look, if, if Ontario Wilson can turn, can go from your number one wide receiver to your number three or four wide receiver, you know, with say McLean stepping up as well, becoming a, a, a true number two, then you're in pretty good shape. You've raised the floor of your of your unit and you're not bad. But what really can change things is can Johnny Wilson and or Deuce Span raise the ceiling? Those are guys with difference maker capacity. Those are guys that that physically bring tools to the table that that other guys on this roster just don't have. And Wilson in particular is a guy that I think this year I'm I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to project based on what I've seen physically from Wilson in the tour of duty stuff and just the the early clips that I've seen. I think J- Johnny Wilson is going to be the number one receiver on this team. I think he becomes the number one. I'm calling my shot. 
And if he does, and if he becomes what he can, what he might be able to become, and he can stay healthy, then that raises the ceiling of that whole group. Because now, Winston Wright, Micah Pittman, those are your you know second and third options. Ontario Wilson is your you know fourth or fifth option instead of your one or two. That changes everything. And when Norvell was hired. One of the things I talked about on this podcast was how his offense was was really predicated, was built on throwing back shoulder. They 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 call a lot of four verts, a lot of vertical concepts, and they threw ninety four percent of their of their vertical throws were back shoulder at Memphis. That's something that they used to talk about. Was forty seven out of every fifty throws that they threw vertical, they threw back shoulder when they were at Memphis. That was just that was their bread and butter, and that was one of the things that their the first. Uh, a couple practices that they had <laughs> the clips that were coming out of that where they were practicing and they they spent they would spend you know one or two periods a day just practicing back shoulder stuff with the quarterbacks and receivers and with no one out there with no defensive backs balls were hitting the ground over and over and over again they couldn't even execute against air and if you can't if you can't do that against air you can't do it against against defensive backs and that has been missing at Florida State because they just haven't had guys who could win that concept consistently. And you take that out of, of Norvell's offense, and that really takes out a big portion of his kind of big play and security blanket uh, call sheet. Well, all of a sudden, you add Johnny Wilson, who is basically a back shoulder specialist at 6'6 six, six plus, who can just box guys out and become that. Now you've changed your offense. Defenses have to actually commit to handling that vertical threat. And that changes all the more if Deuce Span becomes a dude. And physically speaking, he he looks the part. It's just a matter of, you know, I think he's a year, maybe two years away developmentally. But if you can just let him use his speed on the outside to stretch the defense, again, you're raising the ceiling. But, you know, can Portier or Williamson also become someone that can step up and, and do some of that? Can McLean build on last year and become a guy that can, can win on the outside on some of those vertical concepts? Those are things that they're looking at. They threw bodies at this position to bring competition to raise both the ceiling and the floor. And to me, this is the thing I'm looking at more than anything else this spring, along with that offensive line spot, with that tackle spot. Who's going to rise to the top and demand touches? Who's going to rise to the top and be a difference maker on the outside? They need to have that. And if they can get some improvement, both on the offensive line and at wide receiver at the same time, that changes everything for Jordan Travis. Because then you've got a quarterback who's comfortable with a pocket that's not in his lap, and he's got wide receivers winning one-on-ones and getting open to where he's throwing with confidence. It's a whole different, a whole different world for you as a quarterback. That's what they're looking for offensively. Again, it's all about finding a difference maker. A again, can Johnny Wilson, for example, become that guy who third and third and sixteen? Well, we're just going to throw a back shoulder up first down, or you know, you get down in the goal in, in the uh, in the red zone tight zone. Well, you know, they're we're having a little bit of trouble blocking him. Doesn't matter. We're just going to let that guy, that dude go up and win. That changes you. That changes what you can do as an offense. And and just one of those guys that, you know, 
changes the scoreboard, suddenly you're scoring seven, eight, nine points a game more per game, and that adds up to two or three more wins. That's the difference. So, yeah. I mean, defensively, it's going to be also interesting. Again, what they've tried to do is throw some bodies at the corner position to raise the floor and the ceiling at this position. So, you know, you think about this, Cooper, the development, the further development of Amari Cooper and Kevin Knowles and Renardo Green returning to that position, that shows you how they feel about the safety position that that uh, they're putting him down at the, at the corner position. They feel comfortable with what they've got at safety. So Green, who I really liked a lot better at corner than I liked at safety, I, I liked him. I was never a Jarvis Brownlee fan, and that you can go back to my uh, breakdowns uh, when he when they first signed those guys. I liked Green a lot. I was not a big uh, Jarvis Brownlee fan, but Green I think has some good physical tools. Those are guys that at least raise your floor, and you know Greedy Vance as well. I think I think I mentioned him already. Those guys help raise your floor. But then Sam McCall and Azaria Thomas, those are guys that provide some additional ceiling. And I think I'm going to toss Hunter Washington in there as well because of what he might be able to offer you at the nickel spot with some of his quickness. But McCall and Thomas provide some ceiling there. And in the videos that I've seen from Tour of Duty and first day or two of spring, McCall and Thomas just move differently. And Thomas has some dog in him. Don't be surprised. If Thomas is in the two deep coming out of spring at one of those at one of those corner positions, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him within the first couple games of the of the season just seize hold of one of those corner spots and be a starting corner as a true freshman. I would not be surprised. I think he's a freak, and and I, you know I I loved him I loved him on signing day, but even better, even better than than you know initially uh, the the hopes would be for early. Uh, early help. And then, you know, Demory Tate, can he actually become a guy? He has, he's another guy that, you know, if he develops, you know, he's got the tools to raise your ceiling. Sort of your best case scenario coming out of, out of the, out of the spring would be that on the outside, you have say Omarion Cooper and then Demory Tate at once on one side and Thomas and, uh, say Renardo Green on the other side with Knowles being able to stay at the at the at the uh, slot position. If you're able to do that, suddenly you've got guys that can cover on the outside, guys that that have some physical tools, some guys that are true blue chip guys at corner that can help. That's what you're trying to find. On the edge, moving Briggs out there and having McClendon trim down a little bit and be that be a guy for that defensive end role. Those guys set your floor, but can Jared Verse and Patrick Payton or someone else raise the ceiling? That's what it's about. You've got the floor set with a couple of those guys, and I think Briggs can be basically what Keir Thomas was at that spot. I think he can be just as good at that Fox spot. Can McClendon, you know, be a decent player at that spot? I think so. At the at the other spot, at the defensive end spot, yeah, I think so. But can they get difference making? pass rush and such from a Jared Verse or a Patrick Payton to help raise the ceiling of that position and suddenly give you four guys that you feel really good about. And with Payton up to 247 and moving around pretty well at that weight, you've got to feel like that that's a that's really a um uh that's a positive development. Another and going back to the offensive side, at the running back position, Treshawn Ward sets your floor. Really good player. 
has you know not the fastest guy in the world, but he's he does his job and does and and is really just a really good running back with excellent excellent vision. Lawrence Toafili, this is put up or shut up time for him. Can he become the the, the next guy? And then can Benson, Trey Benson or DJ Williams become the big back that they really need? I'm very bullish on Trey Benson. And I can't remember if I recorded before or after, and I've talked to some people off air about this. I like Trey Benson, the pickup of Trey Benson a lot. Because I look at him physically. I look at what he's able to do. You're a year and a half removed from the injury. There's no uh, nerve damage that went with that injury. That knee is going to be just fine. Nerve damage is what you're worried about. If you're talking about a couple ligaments and that sort of thing, that got cleaned up, not a problem. It's probably stronger now than it was before the injury, and the guy can fly at his weight. I think Benson is really the guy that sets the ceiling for the running back room. If Benson can come in and be anything close to what I think his his potential is, now you've got a running back room that can scare teams, and you've got three guys that you can kind of rotate in and out. And, you know, DJ Williams, we'll see what, what happens there. I mean, the, the physical talent is, hasn't gone away. So what happens there? And then, you know, I like Rodney Hill uh, as, a, as, a, as a recruit better than most. So, I mean, I think he's a really explosive guy. I just don't think it, he's going to be the guy, you know, be one of those guys this year. I think he's a year away. So, you know, you look at all those things. Those are the things that I'm paying attention to. Final thing that I'm, I'm really paying a lot of attention to is how quickly can Ducky, can uh, Duffy be a legit backup how you know i think physically the tools and you know even mentally the capacity to do all of this next year he's a guy that could potentially be a a starter for you but can he actually be a guy where if travis goes down at some point this year duffy steps in and can compete at this level and and isn't a total liability if so then maybe you don't pick up a, a quarterback in the transfer portal if you if if you know, if not, that's what you need to look at. So those are the things that's really what I'm looking at this spring. And I think it's all about, they've raised the floor. They've improved the overall depth. They've gotten rid of a lot of the dead weight last year coming out of spring. I, I said, there were about 18 guys that I thought were just complete dead weight on that roster. <laughs> Most of those guys are gone. Almost all of them. So you remove that dead weight. Now you've got you know, some competition at these positions with guys that are at least going to be able to give you pretty close to average. Now, can you just find some playmakers and you just need two or three of them on offense to develop and suddenly the offense is different. You know, if you get Johnny Wilson and Trey Benson hitting their, their potential and living up to what their physical tools might suggest, and you've got a dynamic offense. You get one of the offensive tackles to step in and be just average to above average at that tackle spot and let them be good across all five. Yeah. You just need two or three playmakers to become playmakers, guys that change the scoreboard on offense. And to me, the defense has the returning pieces to be outstanding. I mean, they they can be a really solid defense. They've just got to find again Who's going to be the real problem? Can they find a way at corner to not just get run by? I mean, you look at Brownlee last year. How many times did you just see him in chase position against a guy that was faster than him? Can they just find a way to make sure that the corners that they're sticking out there that are actually consistent enough to play are not the guys that can't run? That's what they've got to do. So 
you know, I think defensively, they've got a lot of a legit two deep of guys that don't suck. Now, can they find a two deep that you've got, say, three or four difference makers at key positions that can start to make plays for you? You're not going to get what you got from Jermaine Johnson. You've got to compensate for that by having a couple other difference makers that can make other kinds of plays. So to me, I mean, if you've got a a, a defense where your linebacker backups are Lundy and Gainer, yeah, you know, linebacker is not the strength of the defense, but if your backups are Lundy and Gainer, which I think is what you'd project at this point, you feel pretty good about that. So to me, this is a very, very interesting spring. And like I said, it's, and I keep repeating it, it's all about upside. You got to stay healthy. You got to, you know, you can't lose any of your key pieces, but if you can make it through the spring, spring healthy and get some of these guys and figure out who can be a difference maker at a, at a few of these spots, and then as those difference makers make those plays in practice, that raises the level of the guys that they're against. And now because you're getting competition, and I think the wide receivers last year were so bad that it hurt the defensive backs. You start getting difference making plays from wide receivers in, in practice, and that raises the level around them. That's what you're hoping for. I think there's some real positive things to look forward to in this spring. And I think this is a roster that may wind up doing some things, may wind up a little bit better than a lot of folks think coming into this next year because of what they did, rolling the dice to get some guys that actually have the traits to be those difference makers. The Unconquered Podcast is brought to you by EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, ShenRealEstate.com in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, Garage Makeovers of Palm Beach and Broward County, and the Unconquered Podcast shop at unconqueredpodcast.com, which features stickers, magnets, and other seminal gear. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level, that is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Vince Calandra, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, post us on social media, and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.